0: Everyone, welcome back to the Murder She Wrote podcast called Murder She Spoke. The episode that we are going to discuss today is season one, episode eight, Hit, Run, and Homicide. We start off pretty strong. Um, the first scene after the credits, um, I always skip the uh, the beginning. Part with the uh, preview of what's going to happen in the episode. I do that with pretty much anything. Because um, people have a tendency to see what's going to happen in an episode. And one, a lot of times it's misleading to what is actually going to happen. And two, they'll be like subconsciously waiting to see those scenes be played out within the episode. So I like to go in without any knowledge of what is going to happen and also a lot of the uh, what what's coming up next clips make things more dramatic i'm not talking about in murder she wrote in general because they're pretty like they're just clips taken right out of the episode but like a lot of like even like next time on any episode on tv or whatever um they tend to like dramatize desi- drop wow i can't talk Um, they tend to make it seem more dramatic, so viewers will come back, and it's not as dramatic, or it's not as, as they imply that it is. Um, so, I started off, I always start off after the, um, what's coming up in the episode, and it's a lot easier because, like, the intro is so freaking long. Um, so, like, if you want to do that, jump into two minutes, and... And you should be good to go. Um, First we see Jessica riding her bike. What I don't understand is she's not going down a hill very fast. In fact, it's like rather a slope than a hill. And this guy that she's friends with is also riding his bike. And he's looking down at his little like monitor thing or whatever. And she's... It's almost like she's playing chicken with him because he's riding his bike looking down and she's aware of this. She knows he's not paying attention. And it's like her expression on her face is almost as if like she's trying to make a point by running into him. Like, but then she like rings her bell. Like, it looks like she's like, I'm not moving out of the way. He can move out of the way. He needs to pay attention. And it's really weird. So when they sort of they don't actually run into each other but when she like gets in front of him and kind of stops him it kind of seems that maybe she was possibly trying to scare him so he would pay more attention um but I'm not sure but as soon as like it's funny because this character Jessica Fletcher has played so well like jessica as a person cannot handle um any lies like anything that isn't true being said especially about herself so when and i'm very similar to that so when he's like what are you doing you almost ran me over she like it's you can see she gets she's starting to rage because she's like um i think you have that backwards and then like she seems like really pissed off and then when he admits to it He's like, I guess you're right. And then she starts laughing. So it's like, as soon as he admitted that, like, okay, yeah, this is what actually happened, she's totally not mad anymore. Which very, like, it very much fits into her character of, like, making sure things are the way they are and that, like, there aren't any misplaced, like... It ties along with the fact that she has to make sure that the person who committed the crime is actually the person that was arrested. And that's a really subtle nod to that. Um, While we're talking, you find out that this man on the bike has a workshop. He clearly has created a gizmo and attached it to his bike. Um, Kind of a representation of the absent-minded inventor, which is such a common trope, um, which doesn't really bother me. Um, I feel like inventors in general that have more than dozens of inventions and make that their whole life, they kind of are focused on their work rather than their... well, Well, most of the time I think, so that's... A pretty, like, common, um, if you come up, if you meet someone like that, chances are they may be absent-minded regarding things that aren't related to what they're working on. Um, I'm not one to stereotype, but, like, that's kind of accurate. Um, also, Jessica coyly slips in. ...and tries to convince him to come to the Founders Day picnic... ...where she mentions that she's speaking. And she kind of makes fun of her own position within the community... ...because she says she has to wax eloquently about their founding fathers. And honestly, like, I think that's funny because she's... ...kind of, like, making fun of the fact that, like, she's a famous author... She's a very eloquent person in general and intelligent. And this town is making her do the speech. And she's. It's interesting. Like, she's almost like, I don't know why they picked me, but, like, it's obvious why they picked her. She's, like, you know, the most qualified in the town. The next scene is um, the actual Founders Day picnic. And it says, welcome, Cabot Cove, Founders Day, Clan, Bacon, Picnic. Um, like, I understand they're trying to play up the whole, this is a small, small, small town. But also, like, if you've watched any episode in the uh, intro, which is, like, a billion years long. Um, it says Cabot Cove uh, residence, and it's, like, around there are like 3,000 residents which obviously is really small but also like this founders Day picnic probably a hundred people maybe like spread out so like that's still like clearly not enough people to be at the uh, the picnic like I feel like such, a, such since it is such a small town um I feel like the picnic would have at least been a little bigger because they're all very involved in the community. Um, so it's not, like, if it were a big city and there are 3,000 people, like, like, I feel like in a city that's more, like, urban, if out of 3,000 people they had, like, a picnic, maybe only 100 or 200 would come, but, like, in this particular city, I feel like a higher percentage of the people would go to a Founder's Day picnic. Um, especially because the first one, as Jessica mentioned earlier, the first one was, Founder's Day had already come and gone, but, um, they were rained out, so they're having the picnic. Um, I mean, maybe that's why there are less people, because Founder's Day's over, people have to work, um... They weren't ready for the reschedule because no one knew it was going to be rained out. But still, I think that there would have been, like, way more people there. Like, in my hometown, when there's, like, a random festival, like, a really chill one, like, Italian Day, or, like, there are thousands of people that go to the streets. And my town is not that big. So, I mean, I feel for filming purposes that is why it's so small but also it's like kind of not realistic. So, pretty casual small town stuff. Um Jessica's showing off her literary prowess by telling one of the fellow older ladies who's setting up for the picnic. She like is trying to sugarcoat that the fact that the town was founded by a pirate and then like Which I find sort of out of character for Jessica, but like, I feel like she would, it's more in character for her to tell the actual truth, like the founder was a pirate, but also like, it is also in her character to sugarcoat it because she knows how like, other people in the town are, and they're like trying to celebrate their founders and everyone knows that history is sugar-coated, especially history that involves, like, you. Like, my town was founded, and they, like... They clearly want to make it sound good. Like, no one wants to be like... Our town was founded because some explorer came in, raped and pillaged everyone, and started a town. Like, no one's gonna ever admit stuff like that. Um, So I think it's, like, Jessica is kind of has foresight about what the community people want to hear because, like, the community isn't, like, a lot of the people, you'll see in, like, later episodes, a lot of the people have a mob mentality and, like, they'll believe rumors really easily, which it's not, like, it's not unrealistic the way they act um, in context. Um, It's very, very accurate. Um, no matter how big the town is, like, they're, it's not, like, shaming small towns or anything like that, but it's very, very accurate. Um, it, it accurately depicts the average person and how they react to things that they hear and see. So, I give that 50-50, um, whether a Jessica would actually do that. Um, but then she admits that, The pirate that everyone already knows it was a pirate. So the other old lady was like, oh, no, it's fine. We all love pirate. What's his name? Um, And then she's like, they said something about like, yeah, um, the American Revolution or whatever. English against British. He was a hero. And then Jessica was like, yeah, but didn't you know that he fought on the side of the British? Like, apparently, she, like, really researched her talk, and no one knows that he fought on the side of the British, so, like, apparently that's not common knowledge. So, clearly, that's something, like, they initially intended to hide when they told the history of this town, um, which I find hilarious. And I'm prattling on about, like, the most useless piece of information about the show, when the next scene is a car barreling down the um the hill with being chased by a man in a suit um and the car is just chasing him down he runs the car like chases after him um onto the makeshift baseball field um and he jumps up onto the um the metal fence the chain link fence and then like the car hits the fence and then he falls onto the hood of the car and rolls off. Like. Okay. First off, if I was being chased by a car that honestly, like admittedly wasn't going that fast, like it's going fast when you're going against it as a human and you're kind of old and you're running. But like the first thing I would do, well, maybe I wouldn't because I've never had a car chase me like that knowing how fast a car can go taking a split second making a split second decision might be not it might not be the best choice but he just kept running straight makes sense but i would have probably started running straight started running as fast as i could and then sort of curved around and then um once i was free of the straight line the car was going into I'd curve around and, like, run to the side or the... Like, and then circle around to the back of the car, maybe. Because that car clearly wasn't going to be making any fast, like, loops or turns or U-turns. Um, but who knows? Um, I wasn't in that situation, so I can only speculate. Um, so the car barrels down on this man. He falls off the chain-link fence. Which, it was really smart of him to jump up the chain-link fence... Though that could have even been more dangerous, because if he went to the chain link fence and then couldn't climb up fast enough, the car could have easily pinned him. Um, So, still dangerous. I probably would have run around the fence, maybe? Um, But anyway, so he hits the ground, and then um, Jessica's buddy, the the guy who's in charge of, like, the war... I can't remember if he does the lighthouse or, but I know he's he's in charge of the fisherman's wharf. Um, he so he's a solid, dependable staple. Um, he helped with in season one, episode three, with the um the missing man um episode. So he's like a dependable um, member of the community. As soon as the uh, man they hit the fence, the man falls on the hood of the car. He rolls to the ground. The car backs up, and as it's backing up, the camera pans to the window of the car. Now this is the interesting part because everything about this story is based off of what you see in that window, of the car, and there is so much glare on it. Like a hundred percent they should have put a fake window in the car so you could see in it or have should have had the head should have had the window down because that wouldn't have messed up um any of the other scenes before it because you're only seeing the windshield at when for all the scenes before that. So um when you see the side window what you're supposed to see is that there's no one driving that car. And that is totally undermined by the fact that there's so much glare in the window you can barely tell what they're trying to point out, which I think is horrible because that's the whole frickin' point of the episode, to show that there is no one driving the car. So, but they, um... They must have known because they um, doubled down on that in a few seconds. Um, After the car drives away, the uh, fisherman wharf, the head of the wharf, um, he greets the sheriff who was called. um, And he tells him that no one was driving the car. And, like, I think that's hilarious because, yeah, no one driving the car is, like, freaking insane. But also, like, if someone told me that, like, that I trusted and that was pretty sane and, a, you know, like, someone I've interacted with that seemed normal and didn't come up with such, um, they, they weren't, like, for lying or tall tales, stuff like that, I believe, like, I honestly would believe what they, they believed what they saw was that, um, but the sheriff played by Tom Bosley, Kind of gives them a hard time. And, like, I can see that. But also, like, out of all the things that they've all seen, um, and especially with technology, like, it's the 80s, early 90s, so, like, a remote control car, like, isn't impossible. Also, could have easily had a person ducking down. Like, there are so many possibilities where I wouldn't have written him off. As soon as he told me that, I think it's funny that I mentioned, um, like, crowd mentality, uh, mob mentality with a crowd because when the, um, what's his name? Um, oh, he's a captain. That's what he is. Captain Ethan Craig tells the sheriff about the incident. I guess it, I messed up. I guess it, um, he didn't come to, he didn't come to the picnic. It jumped to the scene where they're at the hospital outside um, and they're talking and he's like, we're, how drunk were you when you saw this car? And he's like, that's not fair. I wasn't drunk at all. And then he's like, I mean, obviously I wasn't drunk. What about all the other people that saw that there was no one driving? And their sheriff is like, mob mentality. And honestly, the sheriff is, like, an average person. I wouldn't consider him, like, super intelligent like Jessica. But even he knows about mob mentality and how people just blindly follow whatever everyone else wants to do. And I think that's hilarious. So, um, the sheriff goes into the hospital. And it makes me cringe, like, (laughs) metal clipboards for the patient notes. Just so like ancient technology in there. So you find out this guy is the guy that is visiting the inventor in the beginning. He mentioned that he had a house guest and Jessica was like oh bring him along to my speech. So I'm pretty sure this, he said he's visiting um, from out of town. So I think this is the guy that is staying with the inventor. So he is clearly in a lot of pain, or he says that he's in a lot of pain. But the doctor says that there, the he didn't break anything, but he said he'd keep him in the hospital as long as he was in pain. So, apparent while the sheriff is asking him all the details, he mentioned that he is staying with the inventor, and that the inventor used to work for this man. and This man had a company. An electronics, robotics sort of company. Um, um, and he... this The inventor invited this man and his partner... To, um, to his house to stay. He also says that his partner hasn't arrived yet... And that he's due in the next day. Okay, so... They're still talking. He's saying like... He was strapped off at the event, inventor's house. And he realized he wasn't home. And then he discovered that there was a town picnic, but his cab had already left. So he's complaining about how he had to walk all the way to the town picnic. And then, um... He's like, "A oh, nice little town you got here. And then Amos... Amos covered the sheriff. Oh my gosh, he's such a good... Like, I freaking love... Tom Bosley, um, he's like, I can't even imitate the way he said it. He's just like, yeah, I think so. But the way he freaking said it at 640 into the episode is just hilarious. Okay, so Jessica goes to the inventor's house to bring a pie. You know damn well she's bringing that pie because she knows he's fuck. <laughs> she uses customs and um politeness and uh small city um hospitality to poke her nose into fucking anything she can and damn if she isn't good at it because she's an old lady and she can fucking use that to her advantage um and i sure as hell would too um so this is great um the lady who answers the door is the... I believe the business partner that the guy in the hospital was talking about who... Because this is the next day, I believe. Um, she says... I mean, she says she used to work with him, so I'm assuming that's who it is. Um, her name is Katie Simmons. Played by June Allison. So... She takes the pie and leads her back to the inventor's workshop. Okay, I just watched the next section of the episode, and um, the lady who answered the door um, and took the pie from Jessica is not the business partner. I believe she is the wife of the business partner that was on his way but um the next scene we see captain the captain um come into jessica's house and tell her that the business partner that was on his way was killed and his body was found at the side of the road and the first thing jessica says is oh that car without the driver that was that the car that killed him like spot on charity she new. She's so good. <laughs> okay, so uh bear with me while I get adjusted here. Um I paused um so if I sound a little different um I paused the podcast and just started re-recording it and it's been like two days <laughs> so um hopefully You can hear me pretty well on this thing. And we're going to keep going. Um, We're at the point where... um, Captain Ethan comes in to Jessica's house. And um, what I like about that is he comes in, talks to Jessica, and saying, I know you're writing your book, but I thought you would want to hear about this information. He goes and goes straight to the cookie tin, which is empty. But before he even says anything, Jessica holds up a fresh jar of cookies that she made. And honestly, if that isn't friendship, I don't know what is. Um, so he takes a, a bunch of cookies and then, like, t- continues talking. Um, he also, like, the way they film that and uh, the way that's, like, acted out is very fluid. Like, it they are real friends, and it just seems very natural. The next thing that Ethan men- mentions is that the sheriff seems like he's in way over his head with the uh, weird hit-and-run driverless car scenario, and he points out that um, Sheriff Amos um, has a tell. Um, When he clears his throat, that means he doesn't know what he's doing. So, the next scene is Jessica riding her bike. Um, Being that nosy bitch that she is, which we all fucking love. um, She casually runs into the sheriff on purpose. Um, And she, like, she does this very, like, diplomatically. I mean, it's obvious what she's doing. But she does it in a way that, like, saves people's uh, dignity and, like, their pride where she's like, oh, you know, messy stuff, that murder or whatever. And then he's like, yeah, he clearly doesn't know what he's doing, obviously. So Jessica's like, I assume you did this. I assume you talked to this person. I assume you already know. And, like, she throws out, like, information. And, I mean, it's sweet. It's her sweet way of, like... Because he obviously wants her help. But... Um... He clearly doesn't want to help. Like... It's such a pride destroyer when, uh... You're the sheriff of the town and you you can't solve a crime, so... Um... The sheriff's pride was thrown away immediately as soon as Jessica casually brought up that clearly the driverless car was being run by remote control they have like their own little language cause she's like and of course you knew that you know since he's an expert in electronics and robotics that you know he'd be the one to talk to you. and he's like oh why is that and she's like oh well I'm sure you already know this but you know the driverless car It's, you know, um, driven by a remote. And he's like, oh, yes, yes, of course. And then he's like, Jessica, if you're you're not busy, um, I wouldn't hate it if you would join me. And she's like, oh, that's such a nice idea. Like, it's so, like, (laughs) such a polite way of doing things. His excuse is, oh, you can uh, come with me around to question people. Might be helpful for your next book. <laughs> and that's, like, their excuse. So the next scene, Jessica and Amos are in the hospital room with the guy that was being chased by the car but didn't die. Um, the guy who was being chased at the picnic. Um, so it's... Charles Woodley, um, was at the being chased by the car at the picnic. He jumped up on the chain link fence. His partner that was supposed to come in, they're both supposed to go and stay with Daniel, who's the inventor. Now the purse, his partner is supposed to come in that next day, but they found his dead body run over by the driverless car. So. They, both, um, Charles said that, um, Daniel, the inventor, called them to come down, but Daniel says that he never talked to them, never told them to come over, so they're all confused. Next scene, um, the inventor, Daniel, is with Jessica and his family, and they're having a picnic outside in their yard. The first thing I notice is he is grilling on this rickety-ass old grill where every time he puts his spatula in, down to, like, flip a burger, it's, like, shaking. It's so insane. Um, I also, the, Actually, the first thing I noticed was the grill, but the, it wasn't that it was shaking. It was that he has the hamburger buns on the grill also, and honestly, I don't hate that. He has, like, the bun, the top and bottoms, both on the grill, but they're both inward down. Like, the softer bits are placed down on the grill. And that is very interesting to me. Jessica is asking Daniel about the remote control cars. And actually, compared to the first scene we see Daniel in, Daniel is now very dressed up, looking good. hair is nice he doesn't look like a disheveled um inventor anymore he looks like he has himself together which i'm sure is to manipulate the audience's depiction of him okay so the next part is the freaking best okay jessica's on the phone in her house and she's convincing some lady to give her confidential phone numbers and she's like you have to trust me and the lady's like okay Alright, good thing that lady gave her the numbers because Jessica's out here solving fucking crime. She runs back to Daniel's house and his friend, wife, I'm not sure who she is. She's the one who I originally thought was the business partner. I don't know if she is um, if she's the guy in the hospital, his wife, or if it's Daniel's wife no it's I don't think she's anyone's wife either way she's staying with Daniel and Jessica um ran over to her and was like okay so apparently when she was on the phone she was getting phone records and um there were two calls to Boston which um that's where the two business partners that were chased by the car are from. So there's, like, potential proof that Daniel or someone called them to invite them down, even though Daniel says he never did. But on his phone, it shows that he called Boston twice. The first call was to his bank, and the second call was to um, Charles, the one in the hospital, his private office line. And the only reason they know that is because... The lady who Jess is talking to was, um, Charles's former secretary, so she knows his number. Um, so Jess is like, so they either think, um, Daniel's gone freaking insane and invited them and doesn't remember, or that someone used his phone to call them. So Jessica sits down with Kate, Katie, and, um she starts going in on what she thinks may have happened because she clearly believes that Daniel didn't call, so she thinks that someone used his phone to frame him. Okay, so I'm really enjoying watching this episode because I totally... I don't know. I just am. Um. So while they're talking, Daniel comes out with his... which I found out, the young boy is his nephew. So I believe... Um... I still don't know who... who Katie is. Um... Oh well. Um... So he comes out with these poles to, like, keep the birds or something away from the flowers, using, like, these high-pitched noise frequency things, and he presses the button and then it attracts all these dogs, and they start digging up the plants, which is freaking hilarious. Um, yeah, like, they're, like, clearly the writers um, are using this to show the humanity and, like, how, um, like, they're kind of pushing the viewer to root for Daniel, um, even though he might be the one who called the guys and, like, had them killed <laughs> or, like, tried to run them over. Um, like, he's kind of the main suspect, but also, like, the view they clearly want the viewers to root for his, um, innocence. Okay, next scene is at Jessica's house. Uh, they're having dinner. It's the captain, the some guy, and his wife. (laughs) Some young guy. I am so bad at remembering people. Um, he lives in the town is it this maybe it's the same guy that was just in the damn it i can't tell if it's the same guy in the previous scene with the noise plant thing um that would be uh daniel's nephew um let me see No, I do not think it's the same person. No. Okay, so... Um, so it's a young guy, his young wife, the captain, and Jessica, all at Jessica's house, they had dinner, and the captain is talking about how Amos had them uh, search all over the town, everywhere. There was no, like rhyme or reason and jessica's like what about like she's like deducing out loud where the car could have been like hidden and then she mentions like these fields and then um the captain's like there's no way like you couldn't even get through with a bicycle and she's like um i jog every day and there are tons of ways to get through there so like you should check there Okay, so the next scene, Jessica, is in the sheriff's office. And the sheriff is giving her a hard time for saying that she thinks the car is in those fields. Like, I, like, no joke, think it's so ridiculous that, like. In, I don't even know how to phrase this. It's like, um, they're desperate for her help when there is, when they don't know where to start. Like, Amos had no idea where to start, but once Jessica got him going, he, like, started off on his own, like, conspiracy theory tangent, and, um, he, like, won't, like, he was fine having the guys check every place in the freaking city, um, that he wanted them to go the day before, but he won't go check where Jessica thinks the car is, even though Jessica's always fucking right. Right. He follows her advice anytime he he wants her help. Like, when he's in trouble, he follows her advice and she's always right. But when he thinks he he knows what he's doing, he won't listen to her advice like she's a crazy person. And I'm just like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, if I was the sheriff and Jessica was telling me something, no matter how ridiculous it was, I'd be like, alright, let's go check it out. And especially because... All you have to do is drive up there. Like, it's not something... Like, he's complaining about there not, not being enough funds in the police department. I'm like, you just literally have to drive up there. Like, it's not a big deal. Um, Just drive over there and check it out. You just have to hop in the police car. Drive over there. Jessica knows where to go. And the, um, so Jessica's like, is it cool if I go by myself? And he's like, go for it. And then he, like, gives her a really hard time. Like, he's like, and when you're done checking... ...and you find nothing, come back and let me know what you didn't find. And I'm like, that's so petty. Because you know damn well she's gonna fucking find the car. Okay, the first creepy-ass thing that happens is... ...Jessica goes off on her bike because we learned that she cannot drive a car. Um, so, she's, dri- she's biking through these woods and there is someone holding a mirror pretty far away from her in the thicket and they're like catching the sunlight on the mirror and like shining it in her face which is so weird so she sees the light and then she's like if i she clearly she didn't know what it was like the viewer gets to see that it's a hand holding a mirror shining the light at her but she just sees the flickering of like metal or something so she goes to check it out thinking it's the car she goes up sees that she finds the uh car the driverless car but then you see a van creeping up towards her all right so she goes and sits into the car to check it out to see if there's like a uh remote control system thing in there and damn if it isn't our first car chase (laughs) <laughs> she, the door shuts on her and the van is controlling the car and the van chases the car and it looks like the van's chasing the car but actually it's controlling the car and following it Um, and they send her on the most terrifying car like they let the car go like fucking 70 through the the Freaking fields, through the city, and all the way to the cliffs where there's the lighthouse. And they almost send the car, like they almost send the car straight off the cliff and into the water. And it looks like she's driving because she's in the driver's seat, and she's trying to turn the wheel and like figure out how to stop it, but it didn't work. Um, and then the captain, who's by the lighthouse, because that's his job. He sees Jess, and, like, they... Clearly, like, the fact that the car stopped right at the cliff, I feel like if they were controlling it, that means that it was, like, kind of a warning to, like, have her stop, like, investigating. Um, if she's the one who hit the brakes at the last minute, that's fucking lucky. But I think it was them that stopped the car. Like, they didn't want to kill her, they just wanted to scare the shit out of her. Okay, so they're back to, um... Jessica goes on the car chase, the captain gets her out of the car, and they realize it's the van controlling it, I think. I don't know if they know that yet. Um So the captain looks at the van. The van um the person in the van shuts off the um the remote control system so Jessica can get out of the car and the van drives off. Next scene is thankfully the next scene um the sheriff already knows about what happened because they clearly told him already he went off found out that um in the station wagon that um the remote control car um in the back of it there are a bunch of daniel's like blueprints and plans for the remote control car thing um which he uh created years ago at his old job um so then they all go to Daniel's house, and I realize that the guy having dinner with Jessica, he might be the same- he might be Daniel's nephew. Like, I honestly can't tell. Um, so, what we know so far. Um, what's his name? I don't remember his name. Okay. Guy. Daniel. Apparently someone called Daniel's former business partners. Businessman 1 and Businessman 2, we'll call them. Businessman 1 shows up. Um. And this driverless car chases him down at the picnic. He ends up in the hospital. Businessman 2 was supposed to come the next day. But they found his dead body run over by the driverless car, possibly. So then, they uh, businessman number one says the reason they're in town is because Daniel, his former employee, um, and the inventor, um, invited them both in. But Daniel claims that he never did. Jessica checked the phone records, and there was a call from Daniel's line to businessman number one's um office private office line but jessica's not convinced that daniel made the call now um they couldn't find the car that was running the the people over jessica said it was in a field found the car in the field she got trapped we're back to where we are and um amos who now has i guess they have the uh the car that has the remote control in it now like so he was able to go in and look and the mechanism in the car matches daniel's records of what he invented so he's pretty much suspect number one okay the next scene is they're taking daniel in for questioning and the guy that had dinner with the captain and um who had the young wife is Daniel's nephew. I just didn't recognize him. He looked different in the scene before, I think. Um, okay, so anyway, this is getting confusing. Um, okay, so the older lady who was businessman number one's former secretary, who's been staying with Daniel, I don't know how she's related to him. I think she may be his sister. Um, So anyway, her and Jessica are standing in the grass as the police take uh, Daniel for questioning. So the next scene is the nephew and his lovely young bride or whatever, girlfriend, um, they're getting ready for bed and she's brushing her hair and she's like, casually mentions that she thinks Daniel should have a psych evaluation. As soon as someone says that, you know they're guilty they're trying to run some scam like she casually brings it up but what a fucking bitch like he is a quirky inventor he clearly is very like naive i mean she's bringing it up so it's like you know she wanted to bring it up before this but she's using this um All this business to make him look even more crazy. And you know, like, she has an ulterior motive. I don't know what it is yet. But she's casually bringing it up. And, like... I think it's pretty much, like, gaslighting. Um... Because it's a great opportunity for her to slip that in and it not be weird. So... Can I just say... What's her name? Um think her name is leslie can i say fuck you leslie? <laughs> even worse she brings it up to him and he's like no he's always been this way he's you know quirky whatever and she's like instead of just being like well i don't agree um she's like she completely gaslights him in a way that it's like she doesn't even acknowledge the fact that she could be wrong she's like you know sometimes these things just happen as if like she is a hundred percent right and the facts are all in and that he is insane and like she, and she doesn't even like consider the fact that he's not she's just like you're uh, ref- you're rejecting my idea because it's hard to deal with people when they go their brains go and it's such a passive aggressive fucking bullshit i hate that anyway honestly like i feel so bad for daniel like um freaking arrested they're already like his nephew got a lawyer and they're like oh we're gonna try and like if they convict him then they're gonna try to plead plead insanity and jessica's like well like there's no proof like there's no proof he did anything. Why are you always... Like, why is everyone already jumping on the bandwagon for um, him to be, like, arrested officially? Like, they, they paid the bail. Um, like, honestly, like, everyone's just like... Alright, he did it. Now how do we get him out of it? <laughs> and Jessica's like, he didn't fucking do it. Okay, so... The last scene. I love when Jessica sets people up. The last scene... There's, they uh, fake a recreation of the car running down that businessman number one. I, I just realized this whole time I'm essentially retelling the story, which isn't necessary if you've watched it. Um, I haven't analyzed anything. I haven't talked about cinematography. I don't know what is with me today, but... Um, But anyway, uh, (laughs) uh, maybe I'll get back to it the next episode. Um, So, it ends with them finding out that the lady who said that he should be institutionalized, the nephew's fiancé or whatever, she's fucking guilty, no fucking surprise there. Um, and, like, businessman number one, who was in the hospital all this time, was actually never hurt. Um, and, like I mentioned before, um, when he was being chased down, I mentioned how the car looked like it was going really slowly, and I thought that was more like a filming thing, so it, like, didn't actually hit him. Meanwhile, it's part of the plot that the fact that the car was going slowly, is what triggered Jessica to realize that businessman number one was in on it. And that the chasing and allowing him to be in the hospital while all this went down. Um, he used the lady, the fiance, her name's Leslie, I think. Um, he was the puppet master and she was his puppet. She did all the dirty work, ran down the other business partner. Um, made the call from daniel's house um all of the stuff which essentially the whole point of this was businessman one and two were equal business partners in a business daniel used to work for them but they fired him because like decades ago because um his inventions were like brilliant but they cost too much money and they weren't They didn't want, all they wanted to do was make money and not have to worry about the future, but, um, their business began to fail, and they signed a deal, a million dollar deal, um, but it involved one of Daniel's inventions and patents, but Daniel didn't know this, so they, um, businessman number one wanted all the money for himself, so He had businessman number two killed, which gave the whole company to him. But he couldn't kill Daniel because when Daniel dies, all of his patents and inventions go to the, I think it was the University of Maine. So that actually saved Daniel's life or they would have just straight up killed him first. Um, They wanted him to um, become insane so that then... Um, his nephew or his nephew would be in control of the estate therefore the girl is the nephew's fiance so she'd have control over his um, inventions and patents therefore they would be making millions of dollars um it's clever but also like (laughs) that's such a lot of work and such like, so much freaking work that it could have easily gone all gone wrong in the beginning. Um, it's just, why do all of that just for money? Like, you are risking your whole life for millions of dollars. Why can't... they? Why didn't they just make a deal with Daniel? Like, why couldn't... I mean, if they're making millions of dollars, why didn't they cut Daniel in would have been able to use his patents. I mean, they did mention that Daniel probably wouldn't have gone back with them, but, like, also, I don't think it would have been super hard to convince him if if they picked the right way to convince him, like, that he's helping mankind, that they never appreciated his genius, or, like, I feel like if they were the right type of people, they could have gotten Daniel on their side, and, um, I mean, Was it really so bad that businessman one had to split everything 50-50 with businessman number two? Like, is it that bad? Is millions of dollars, is, is it really worth that? I mean, okay, say at the very least, like, okay, so he would have had to split the money with, um, Leslie now. So, like, I don't get what the point of Beth's of this was because killing businessman number two just was totally pointless because he would have, wouldn't he have had to share the money with Leslie anyway, unless he was planning on killing Leslie or um, Leslie had a different deal of her own or something. I mean, it just, it, it's such a pointless just senseless risk of going to jail and especially murdering people where it wasn't totally necessary, like, especially, like, I hate when people, like, people are being blackmailed, and they can't take it anymore, so they kill the person that's blackmailing them, but, so that the secret won't come out, but, like, that makes the secret come out faster, because, like, when you're investigating a murder, um, obviously you're gonna look at every aspect, so the secret comes out anyway, and then you're like, oh, it wasn't that bad, but then now I'm going to prison for murder. (laughs) So it's like, let the fucking secret come out. Don't let them have the power. Whatever, you know, like... Is it really worth killing someone? Like, is this secret so awful that you're gonna, like, have the repercussions are gonna be worse than going to jail for murder and people finding out your secret? Like, it's so, like it's not thought out. It's never thought out. Criminals barely think things out when it comes to stuff like that. It's so stupid. Um, but honestly, I to be honest, I was kind of dreading um, recording this podcast for the last couple days. I just, like, really wasn't in it. Um, I've been streaming on Twitch every day, and I was kind of, like, focusing more on that. Um, and I was like, no, I need to do this um so i picked episode number eight because i jumped from four to eight because i definitely haven't seen i don't want to do five based on the description um i've already seen six and it's i didn't want to deal with that either or (laughs) i don't want to deal with seven either Um, so it's like, you know, it's a good solid Cabot Cove set episode. Um, you're not really missing much from five through seven. Um, I mean, there are like 13 seasons, so, um, I, I don't think I can do every single one, um, but I may go back and do five, six, and seven, um, but there's nothing chronological that you're missing there, um. Uh, the next episode I think I'm going to go to is episode 10. Um, episode 9 I have seen, and it is the most boring episode ever. Um, so I'm going to just skip right on to episode 10, which is very dramatic and very good. Um, now, regarding cinematography, um, oh, there's another, before I get to cinematography, there's another point I wanted to make. Um, Whoever filmed or wrote or whatever When Jessica was Riding her bicycle and her tire um, She got a flat tire so she was walking On the side of the road And Daniel's nephew was driving by And saw that that was right after Daniel um, Was put in jail Overnight and Jessica went to Go see Daniel and then the nephew Picked her up and um, He was talking about having him, um, evaluated mentally, and that, like, they're pretty much already assuming that he was guilty, so they're, like, um... This seemed, like, right before it was him telling his fiance that, um, Daniel is not insane, blah, 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 but then, like, um... So it almost seemed like he was colluding with her. Um, like, it went from... It was so weird, because... It went from him, like, totally not acknowledging her, um, saying that he's insane, to him being convinced that maybe that would be the case. And the way he just treated it in front of Jessica made—it was intended, I feel like, intended to make the audience suspicious of him. But in reality, it wasn't him. He was just trying to do his best to, like, cover all the bases just in case. Because, I mean, he was just arrested, and the patents were in his name, like, and, like, he was being set up, obviously. So, he was just making sure that he could say that he went insane temporarily, um, if he was accused of the murder. Um, so, it turns out that he was just trying to protect him, and, but I still find him, like, to be really fucking shady, Um, but the heroes out of this, of course, are Jessica, and Amos is very amused when Jessica's plan works out and they catch, um, Leslie and businessman number one. Um, so, it's interesting, but also, here's why I'm confused. Businessman... I guess it makes sense. Like, businessman number one, when they were catching them, the car was going really, really fast after him. And how they they caught them was, he's like, stop, stop the car, stop the car. And Leslie knew that the van is what controlled the car. So finally, she couldn't take it. She didn't want the car to kill him. So she ran to the van to stop the car. But meanwhile, it was actually the captain that was controlling the car from his truck. Because they took the mechanism out, or they made a new one, and like they were clearly caught; like it was obvious. Um, so, I mean, it was clear that she was going to be caught. Leslie took that risk to save businessman number one, um, his life. But why? Why did she do that? She could have easily have. She could have easily let the car crush him and then frame everything on him but i guess he was the key to the actual money so i mean maybe like i don't know i seem like i don't know how they became business partners um but it seems like it was such a slimy business deal as it was like i don't know why she went out of her way to implicate herself In order to save his life. Unless she was really desperate for that money. Um, Which still doesn't make sense. Because. Okay. So like the business deal. He signed a business deal. um, To make millions of dollars. And I assume like. Her only interest was the fact that. Um. Daniel. Would be declared insane. And she would control his patents. Through her fiance. And then her and businessman number one would work together to make money. But, like, she could have easily done it without the first businessman. Like, she could have easily, like, if she let the car kill him, um, in theory, she could have just, um, you know, taken the patents and, and done the business deal on her own um, and not have been implicated in a murder. Because then she, like, as soon as he was arrested, like, she'd fucking gave herself up and him up very quickly. So she clearly didn't care about him as a person, but she didn't I guess she didn't want the the van to murder him. I guess like she is more human than we thought. Um so I don't know what the deal is there, but I mean it wouldn't have worked no matter what she thought because the captain was controlling the uh the car anyway. So um but she could have gotten out of there um ...without being implicated. Even though Jessica already... ...knew... ...because of her mileage. Um, but... it could ...they could have uh, had a stronger case... Um, ...to uh, refute, refute... ...what uh, Jessica believed. Um, so... ...she wouldn't have been implicated at all... ...if she had let the van crush... ...the uh, businessman number one. Which... ...I feel like if it was a man... He would have let the <laughs> he would have not tried to save the person. Um, I'm not like generalizing, but I'd have to say that the businessman number one, if they were in the reverse places, he wouldn't have given himself up to save her life. He would have let the um, he probably would have let the the car crush her, even though she would have controlled the patents. Like I don't I don't see him being that sympathetic. So who knows? Um, I didn't really notice anything, cinematographically speaking, like, um, that really stood out. I mean, the intro is the same as always. Um, the scene with the car chase was pretty epic. Um, other than that, it was a pretty normal episode. I was mainly focused on the story and what was going to happen rather than looking at the scenery. And there wasn't much, like... There wasn't really any downtime when it came to the storytelling; it was fast and constant the whole time. Um, so, yeah, it was a pretty good episode. Um, I'd probably rate it out of ten. I'd probably give it like a six, because I know there are episodes that are a billion times better than this one, but this one doesn't bother me, and it was pretty decent with the story and how it it. Um, like spun around things like you thought one thing and then the next second you thought another thing but it wasn't like on the edge of your seat interesting so i'd say six because it's better than average um it's better than five but not you know like i'm gonna go with six um but yeah i hope wait i was gonna end the podcast but before i go I did want to talk about, I mentioned it earlier, that, um, the way they manipulate the audience in, well, in any TV episode, um, especially with murder-themed things, where they want the audience to be partial to a certain character, or, um, root for a certain character, or believe this, they want some, you know, like, they, a lot of times, will mislead you on purpose so you'll believe one thing, so it's a twist when something else happens. Um. Murder, she wrote, is really good in the fact that they don't manipulate anything regarding, like. They don't hide anything from you. When Jessica finds something out, you find something out. Um. They don't, like. It's not one of those shows where. You find out their murderer is a character you've never even seen yet. Or didn't even know about. Like, there's nothing, like, tricky about it. But they do manipulate the audience subtly with clothing, how people look, how they dress in a certain scene. Like, the inventor in the beginning looks like a disheveled, like, airhead sort of, like. He's wearing a fishing hat. He looks a mess. And then in the, like, a couple scenes later, he's dressed really well, looks very dignified, like a professor. Um, looks like he has his shit together, very nice hair. Um, and then in another scene, it's like they try to, like, build up the fact that they try to use, like, people's um, assumptions of um, outward appearance, like, in the beginning, you think, okay, disheveled, um, inventor could be crazy, but then when you see him later, you're, like, oh, he's, like, you know, like, you're kind of rooting for him, and then, like, they establish different people, and how they, um, how they want to, the audience to perceive them, because, you never know, like, what background a viewer is coming from. So, like, you try to influence how they see things so that the episode is watched in in the way that they, they intended it to be watched. Um, obviously, throughout the whole episode, um, everyone most likely is rooting for um, Daniel. Like, I don't see anyone watching this and thinking, oh, yeah, Daniel just straight up murdered everyone. <laughs> Like, clearly he is very, um, docile, but you want to think, like, you clearly know that he's innocent throughout the whole episode, but then a part of you's like, but is he? Is he, though? Because he could be insane, and he could have done it and not remembered, but it's only a little part of you which keeps that, like, adrenaline pumping throughout the episode, and then you realize, like, he could be guilty, but, like, Probably not, but that leaves open like, then who did it? Like, what is actually happening? And I think that's a really good, like, they create such good, like, timelines and, um, twists and turns that they use, um, they use certain things that they know will trigger the audience in certain ways in order to keep people on the path that they want them to be on when not watching the episode. And that's, that's what really keeps a good, like, um, it keeps the formula, um, like, in everyone, every television show does this, like, I mean, if someone is dressed like, um, dressed up like they live in a trailer park, you're obviously gonna assume certain things about them, like, they use stereotypes, they use visual stimuli to, like, manipulate the audience, um, and that actually helps, subtly helps when there is a twist or turn. You find out, like, oh, uh, my original thought was totally wrong because I just stereotyped the person or, you know, I just assumed. So I think that's a, it's also a good way to really um, draw out meaningful ways and very, like, vivid ways to um, show racism or like internalized sexism or things that like oh i assume this about this person because of this but meanwhile that's not even the case and you kind of look inwardly and think why did i assume that and that's a really great way to like teach people how to like observe differently just based on um without like openly saying like hey you might be racist. No one's gonna listen to that because no one really wants to admit if they're being racist in their head. But if they discover it themselves and think maybe I shouldn't have thought that, like that's a good way that television does and storytelling in general does manipulate the reader or the watcher or viewer um, into inward discovery, as along with the twists and turns of the uh, murder adventure. Um, so, I think that's it for this episode. Thanks for listening to Murder, She Spoke, the Murder, She Wrote podcast. Um, I'm Maria Wellman, and we'll be back next week for Season 1, Episode 10.